All persons discussed in this episode are presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This is The Fall Line. Our next season premieres in February. It tells the stories of two daughters who were actively investigating their own mother's disappearances. We explore the answers that they've uncovered and the new mysteries that they've run headlong into, all in the pursuit of truth, for the purposes of finding out what happened to their mothers. One daughter got proof her mother was alive, years after her disappearance. And since then, she's searched the nation's unhoused communities. In the meantime, she's found other people's missing relatives, and she's helped to reunite families. The other daughter is convinced that her missing mother is dead, and she's sure that she knows who was responsible. She's working a disappearance and a murder case, and now she's trying to help identify a Jane Doe. Along the way, she's met advocates working toward the same goals. You're introduced to three of them in this episode. These are incredible stories, and we can't wait to bring you season 17. In the meantime, though, we're here to update you on a case that longtime listeners will know the disappearance of Leona LeClaire Kenzie. She's the mother of Carolyn DeFord, who first appeared on the fall line in 2021. She told her story and her mother's over three episodes, and we encourage you to listen to the full series if you haven't heard it. It remains one of our most popular series to date because of Carolyn's description of her life and her search for her mother and the frustration she's felt at each roadblock and dead end. Since we first met, Carolyn's connected us with the families of MMIWP, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and People, who wanted their loved ones' stories featured on the podcast, and we've remained friends. Carolyn spends most of her time advocating for other people, in a lot of capacities, at the federal and state levels, at the tribal government level, and as a peer, working with families on direct action and support campaigns. Recently, Carolyn and her supporters launched a targeted campaign to share new information regarding a person of interest in her mother Leona's case. There is a chance for resolution in Leona's disappearance, and she needs your help to spread the word. In a bit of what might be synchronicity, three of the advocates featured in our next season are also helping Carolyn, So you'll meet them for the first time in this episode and hear a little bit about their work now. You'll learn much more in the future when we discuss the disappearance of Patricia Otto and the case of the Finley Creek Jane Doe. But this episode is for Carolyn and for Leona. Before we get into Leona's case, we ask Carolyn to remind listeners about the work she does and the way she serves many communities on the local and national levels. My professional work, I'm currently working for the Puyallup Tribe of Indians Community Domestic Violence Advocacy Program as their anti-trafficking program manager and MMIWP advocate. I sit on the Washington State Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and People Task Force as a co-chair on the family members subcommittee, just working to assure that the task force is keeping MMIWP family voices and families at the forefront of the task force work. 
I am on the board of directors for MMIW USA and for Washington Against Sexual Exploitation. So a lot of the work that I do is kind of anti-trafficking and MMIW, just because those two issues are so inherently linked. A lot of the families that I've supported in my own MMIW advocacy have had concerns or knew that their loved one was trafficked or potentially could be being trafficked or um, engaging in sex work. And so that was one of their concerns for their safety. And that kind of opened the door to, you know, to my work with trafficking is, is that connection. In 2016, I was doing some online advocacy and sharing posters and kind of targeting outreach for families in the areas where their loved ones had gone missing and discovered or realized that there really weren't a lot of families of men who were getting some of the support that our MMIW families were getting. And as, you know, as a mother with boys, young boys, that that really scared me that if something happened to one of my boys, you know, it would be a lot harder to find the support and the resources and, and be able to find them, you know, and, and how re-victimizing that must feel, you know, to a family who's looking already, it's, it's a hard road. You know, a lot of people don't take what you're saying seriously or the issue serious and the attention dies down so fast. And, you know, the the lack of resources. So I, I just really felt like I needed to do something to help kind of encompass our men and two-spirit folks who are going missing as well. That prompted me to start Missing and Murdered Native Americans, which is a Facebook and we have presence on Facebook and Instagram. We were kind of exploring with TikTok for a little bit, but don't really have the capacity to to be really diligent with that platform at this time. So it's myself and another um, Native woman, MMIWP family member who just volunteer our time. Primarily right now, it's it's outreach, just helping to share posters or making uh, posters for families and a lot of emotional support or just providing a listening ear. It's it's a really lonely road sometimes and and having somebody that you feel safe to talk about the things that you don't want to worry family, you know, other family members talking about or, you know, sharing frustrations um, that we might have with our investigation or resources that are available or, you know, anything that comes up along that, you know, along that journey. So that's kind of my, my professional work and our social media work. Uh, we just volunteer volunteer our time. Sometimes we'll assist in fundraisers. We'll assist with supplies for searches if we have the resources. Just whatever our families are needing, we'll try and find resources or or assist in any capacity that we can. Back in 2021, you first heard Carolyn walk us through her mother's story, and she tells it beautifully too. But We'll give you a brief overview now, just to catch you up. When Carolyn was born in the early 1970s, her mother Leona was living with Carolyn's biological father near the Nesqually Reservation in Washington. After Leona separated from Carolyn's biological father, Leona moved to La Grande, Oregon, where she met Carolyn's stepfather. He's the man who raised Carolyn, and she spent the rest of her childhood in Oregon. Carolyn's dad worked in logging, and her mother worked in house cleaning and landscaping. The whole family loved being outdoors more than anything. Carolyn remembers her parents spent as much time as they could in the wilderness, 
Leona especially loved hunting and fishing and foraging for plants and mushrooms. Carolyn still remembers that her mother taught her little lessons along the way, from the names for plants to how to gently handle the smallest creatures that they came upon in the little creeks. After her mother and stepfather separated, Carolyn and her mother's relationship became more fraught. Carolyn told us that her teenage years were difficult. Leona struggled with issues from her past, and she had some issues with substance use. Looking back, Carolyn understands her mom much better than she did when she was a teen. But in the moment, it could be hard. And Carolyn's life became more complex, too. When she was 19, she had her own child and had to struggle to support her young family. Carolyn moved to Spokane, Washington for a while, and Leona came out to help Carolyn with her baby. And when Carolyn returned to LeGrand, where Leona lived, Leona helped her care for her son. Leona loved being a grandmother, and she doted on her first grandson. Eventually, when Carolyn moved back to Washington again, they stayed in better contact. Leona came to visit and help after the birth of Carolyn's daughter, and by the fall of 1999, things felt mostly settled. That's why Carolyn felt so uneasy in the late October of 1999. It wasn't anything in particular. It's just that when she woke up one morning, she felt that something wasn't right. That whole day, she was on the edge of tears, and she wasn't sure why. When she finally got to work, there was a message waiting for her from her mother's good friend Nancy. And when she finally got in touch, Nancy told her that Leona was missing. And, as her blood relative, Carolyn was going to have to call Legrand and file the report with police. Here's what Carolyn has pieced together from what Nancy told her, from the police, and from people in Legrand. On October 25th, 1999, Leona left home with plans to meet an acquaintance, someone who she called John. His name was actually Juan Pina Lamas, but people knew him as both John and Juan, and he answered to both. According to her friend Nancy, he is the man that Leona said that she was meeting that night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. There's no indication that Leona had planned to leave her home or the area for any length of time. Her refrigerator was full of groceries. She left her pets at home. Leona was an animal lover, and her family knew that she would never just abandon them. She would have arranged for someone to feed her pets if she'd planned to leave. And she left behind a number of important belongings, too. The type of things that she would have taken with her if she'd voluntarily left home. Leona's car was found several days later in a local grocery store parking lot, and it was muddy, as if it had been taken off-road. The police would later discover that its four-wheel drive was broken. 
At the time of our original interview with Carolyn, she said that she'd always felt her mother's car was an important clue. Back in 1999, she stressed the importance of law enforcement impounding and inspecting the car as soon as possible. She was worried that evidence might be lost. What precisely was discovered, if anything, she doesn't know. Though local reporting mentioned that Leona had been on the way to the store when she disappeared, there's no evidence that she herself actually left the car in that parking lot. She may have made it to the Albertsons, but her car would not have ended up in that shape on a short drive. It's more likely that her car was involved in her disappearance and then abandoned at the grocery store afterward. In a 2018 article from The Observer, Carolyn described her mother, quote, as likely a victim of foul play at the hands of a man she was supposed to meet who reportedly was a drug dealer. That man, who was alleged to be involved in drugs, was Juan. When we first told Leona's story, that information was not widely circulated. Carolyn told us that she'd long heard rumors about Juan, but there was little she could do with that information besides pass it on to law enforcement. And speaking to him was going to be difficult. Juan Pina Llamas was deported to Mexico in 2006. According to Uncovered, this followed an arrest and then the discovery that he was in the United States without current documentation. After his deportation, it seems that law enforcement had no information as to where Pina Llamas was or if he was even alive. So, for many years, Carolyn had very little information about the progress of her mother's case. It's only been in the last three years that she's gotten access to her mother's unredacted police file, a more complete picture of what may have happened that day and in the days that followed, and outside support in raising awareness in Legrand and beyond. Carolyn's been working with a few key people who've helped all of this along. One is Mel Jetterberg. She's one of the advocates you'll be meeting next season when you learn about her work on the case of the Finley Creek Jane Doe. Mel is a LeGrand resident who actually went to high school with Carolyn. They didn't know each other well back then. They were a year apart in school, but they reconnected not too long ago when Mel came across Leona's case in the local media. She remembered Leona and a little about her disappearance. She began helping Carolyn with Leona's Facebook page and eventually in working on several awareness campaigns that you'll hear about a little later in the show. She's also the person who helped Carolyn get Leona's unredacted case file and who connected her with Light the Way, the victim advocates who've been working with Carolyn for the past year. Carolyn tells us that without Mel's help, much of the work that's happened to spread awareness in Legrand would have been impossible. She's the one on the ground there, making sure that flyers are up, magnets are passed out, and campaigns run as they should. And, as we said, Mel was the one who introduced Carolyn to Light the Way, who are two women, Shana and Tate, who work with family members as victims' advocates. As we said, you'll be hearing much more from them in our upcoming season, but for this episode, we focused on Leona's case. In the future, we will get more into what victims' advocates do and how they do it. When we spoke for this episode, I asked Shana to describe how they first began working on Leona's case. So Mel Jetterberg, who is the lead advocate for the Finley Creek Jane Doe, 
also works on Leona's case. She is friends with Carolyn. She brought us on board to Leona's case. And when she told us about the story, we were ready to see how we could help. And what are some of the things that you've worked on together so far for Leona's case? This is Tate's. We've had really positive interactions with Lieutenant Jason Hayes. He's very responsive and willing to work with us. We believe he's truly committed to finding Leona and what happened to her. Anytime we have something for him, I mean, he's so quick to respond and and he's just always open to new ideas, any, anything that's new that he can try that he hasn't tried. We have updated the flyer for both Leona and Juan Peña Lamas. We are the family advocate when speaking with law enforcement. We've done billboard design. We've contacted media and podcasts, and we have reviewed the case files. That mention of a flyer for Juan Pina Llamas is important because his information has not been widely circulated to the public. Juan Pina Llamas may have been the last person to see Leona Kinsey alive. Law enforcement have not named him as a suspect in her case. He is described as a person of interest whom police would like to interview. The problem has been that they had no information as to where he was, or even whether he was living or dead. But recently, that status changed. Thus, the need to get the word out. Shana from Light the Way explained it to us. You'll hear Shana mention Lieutenant Hayes. As a reminder, he's the detective currently assigned to Leona's case. Juan Peña Lamas is a person of interest in this case. And years ago, he had agreed to take a polygraph but failed to show up. And in 2006, he was deported to Mexico. No one had heard from him since. So when we got involved at the beginning of last summer, we had talked with Lieutenant Hayes and he had said the biggest lead that that they had would be to talk with Juan. But since they had no proof of life from him, they didn't know if it would ever be possible, but that, you know, Juan would be the goal. So we discussed how important it would be to obtain proof of life. So that was kind of the biggest outcome. The update that we can give is that law enforcement in the past six or seven months has obtained a proof of life of Juan for the first time since 2006. They have located Juan in um, a town in Mexico as recent as last year in 2022. The problem is, is that since he is not an official suspect, they have nothing to compel him to talk or sit for an interview as of now. Both Carolyn and law enforcement do believe that someone possibly knows more about what happened to Leona, and we urge them to come forward. So, that proof of life has been the key change for Carolyn. The need to gather more information and to use what they know to reach out to the community. When Carolyn received the police report, she gained information that she believes could help prove what happened to her mother. Based on the tips that came in, it appears that more than one person was involved in Leona's disappearance. And because of the number of tips, 
this was not a well-kept secret. So, there should be people from Legrand who know what happened. People who know who else was involved, or who were involved themselves. Carolyn thinks that a second participant might have been unwilling or could have helped under duress. She wants to stress that someone in that situation should not be afraid to come forward with what they know. What Carolyn wants and needs most is information. That's what the current campaigns are all about. Getting Leona's face back out in front of the public and also circulating information about Juan Pina Yames too. He was known to a lot of people, and maybe some who didn't want to talk in 1999, they'll come forward now. With a new $10,000 reward in place, Carolyn hopes that more people will be encouraged to speak up. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. One key change for Carolyn over these past few years has been getting some help. Carolyn has spent a lot of time advocating for other people, both in her professional career and her spare time. But like many family members of the missing and murdered, she has had little help with the case of her own loved one. We talked about what it was like to get that support now. On one side, there's emotional support, and on the other side, practical and logistical. One thing that the victim advocates did this year was focus on a birthday campaign for Leona, something that Carolyn has always done on her own. So this time, Carolyn was able to step back and not campaign, but just remember. This year, Leona turned 70, so it was a lot to reflect on. Having a 70th birthday, like she's forever like 45 in my head. And imagining my mom being 70, you know, know, a grandma, it was kind of just one of those milestones that, that um, I'm not sure how I feel about yet. They focused on doing a post for her birthday and I usually do something for her birthday, but they did, you know, and so I was just able to remember her and, you know, share stories with them about her, you know, and not have to. For some of my family, it's really uh, sensitive still. And when I'm doing outreach on social media or sharing to my personal page, I think some of my family is a little triggered by that. Carolyn explained that it's also valuable to have help in reviewing files, communicating with law enforcement and media, and even deciding how best to share information. Gosh, it's a relief to have other eyes, to have other, you know, ideas and resources of people who kind of do a little bit. I mean, their area, their focus is a little different than mine. I mean, personally, my focus is peer support and, you know, I connect with resources when I can, but really where my heart is, is I know what it feels like. I know how hard it is and how lonely it can be and infuriating and 
the roller coaster of emotions from desperation to frustration and being fed up to having hope that somebody might see something, say something, that you'll have an answer to not thinking, you know, to not thinking there is any hope, you know, to kind of feeling lost in the whole thing. And so my heart is with working with families and kind of just offering that peer support and what information has worked for me or what I know and other people that I have connected with that have other areas of expertise or focus in their advocacy, like Light the Way or, you know, you, for example, the following other podcasts that are trying to help share information. And even within podcasts, some of you have different focuses in the messages that you're trying to share to get out and being able to work with them and kind of their ideas, their resources, um, the extra manpower for one to be able to write emails and fill out applications to have your story told on a podcast or in a show or, you know, in a segment or an article that's time consuming. And as a family member, making sure that I put all of the information in there, like I really have a hard time sometimes differentiating what people need to hear and what I feel like saying. (laughs) Um, So they're really able to buffer that, but also, you know, following up with law enforcement and being able to be non-biased where sometimes I can be non-biased, I I can be non-biased, but I'm also very emotionally invested. And so they're able to to kind of have some more professional communication um, than I'm always able to have, you know, like I can, but sometimes it's harder depending on what's going on with her case or, you know, uh, what's going on um, as far as what I've learned about her case or where my mind is in a personal space. So that's been nice, but they're just there. You know, if I need to talk through something, they're there. And sometimes as an advocate for other families or offering peer support for other families, that's not a, a burden i I put on them is to be my support person. You know, I have some families that we've become family to each other. When you work with and alongside other MMIW families for so long, you really build a connection, you know, and they become in some ways a very uh, intimate part of this, this journey for you and become family. Um, So I have some families that we do have that kind of relationship, but for the most part, you know, they are able to sort through my, ideas or my frustrations and figure out how we can address, you know, how can we get an answer to that? Or how can we get the word out on this, you know, and and that's been super helpful. And it just kind of takes away some of that being so alone all the time. Even with support, Carolyn is still facing a hurdle. She needs to circulate these new updates about Juan and trying to reach people who may have known him in relation to a cold case. Now that law enforcement knows he's alive, it's vital. But it's not the kind of news that might make the front page. And that is the trouble. As in so many other cases that we've covered, Leona disappeared in a small community. And yet, many people haven't heard of her disappearance. And if they don't know about that, they can't be aware of the information they may have that could be important. We're coming up to 25 years in her disappearance. And so looking at what are we going to do for that? You know, like my mom's community, it's a small town. A lot of them still have never heard of her case. You know, like we've had a billboard up for for five years. And a lot of people have never, never heard of it. My hometown paper will only put it in the paper every couple of years. So finding ways to keep her her message alive that are going to reach people in my hometown who might have 
been in that crowd at the time or who might be in that crowd now and are hearing rumors or people are coming forward with stuff. It's kind of what I'm hoping, but how do you do that? You know, how do you reach this crowd? And that's where Light the Way and Mel, who works with Finley Creek Jane Doe, created a, a infographic and Mel helped organize a fundraiser where we were able to, to pay for six months of um, having my mom's post or her information in the previews of the movie theater. So when the advertisements and everything are coming up in the local movie theater, my mom's information will come up as well. They have not stopped there. Carolyn and the advocates are trying every avenue. They did a post for the anniversary of her disappearance. They've created a poster, informational poster on John and all the information that we have been able to find out about John and, and different areas where he's lived or may have connections and, you know, updating, you know, posters for my mom just to have a new face, you know, a new format of the poster that kind of draws new attention. We asked Carolyn how listeners could best help with this new information in mind. One thing she brought up was a tip that they'd received, that Leona's remains may have been hidden in eastern Oregon, in what she described as mine country. She told us that it's an area frequented by hunters, hikers, and outdoorsmen. If anybody's seen anything up there around that time or since then, you know, for our outdoorsmen and our hunters and our folks who are outdoors, not only this time of year, but in the upcoming spring weather for them to keep their eyes open. Not just for my mom, but every year we have multiple discoveries of human remains by outdoors people who seen something and, and said something and turned it in and were able to help family members bring a loved one home. We'll also be trying to reconduct a search in the area one of the areas where law enforcement searched with cadaver dogs, uh, they took three cadaver dogs to an area that John's wife gave them. And the cadaver dogs hit positive on, on several locations of human remains, but upon excavation, no remains were located. And they only searched that area once from nine o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon. And I would like to have that area re researched with, you know, cadaver dogs and a, and a team that can dedicate time to the full area, not just the immediate parameter of that discovery. So that's another thing, you know, and, and that's going to cost money to bring, you know, a, an expert in with dogs to do that. So she needs to know about connections and rumors, maybe from old friends who heard stories but brushed them off. Anything about a mine in eastern Oregon. Anything anyone might have been told about Leona. So, that brings us to the information. What's most important to communicate to our listeners and for you to share? Both of the new flyers are up on our social media and on our website now. But we also want to share with you directly what we can in this episode. Light the Way Advocacy Project has gathered information on Juan Pina Yamas, who's described only as a person of interest and whom police would like to interview. In 1999, he was described as a Hispanic male in his mid-30s, so now he'd be in his mid to late 50s. He was about 5 foot 5 and 135 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. During his time in the United States, 
He lived in La Grande and in Salem, Oregon, and in Los Angeles and San Bernardino counties in California. Juan was deported back to Mexico in 2006, but has maintained family and relationship ties to the U.S. His known and suspected aliases are as follows. Juan, or John, Pina Ruiz Llamas, John Pina, Juan Alejandro, Juan F. Pina Banyara, and several spelling variations that combine his last names, Pina and Llamas, or slightly alter their spellings. At the time of Leona's disappearance, she was 45 years old. She would be 70 today. Leona is a Native American female of Puyallup heritage and about five foot two. At the time of her disappearance, she weighed around 110 pounds. She's known to wear glasses and according to Light the Way, has quote, a tattoo of a tomahawk and a peace pipe intersecting on her bicep. Legrand authorities are actively seeking information from anyone who may have seen Leona on October 25th 1999, or people who knew Juan, and those who may have more information regarding her disappearance. It is suspected that Leona's disappearance was discussed in the community after she went missing. If you have any information, please contact the Legrand Police Department at 531-963-1017. We'll be back with our new season, Missing Mothers, on February 7th. Be sure to stay subscribed so you don't miss an episode. If you know of a case that should be covered on the fall line, there's a link to the case submission form in our show notes. Thank you for listening. The Fall Line is an independent podcast, and we appreciate listener support. It allows us to do research, obtain FOIA, pay our content advisors, and support and donate to the causes we care about. If you try out the products we advertise, please use our sponsor codes. It really helps. And please take a moment to rate and review our show in your podcast app of choice. My book, Lay Them to Rest, which covers years of my life working on a Jane Doe case in the world of forensic scientists who resolve unidentified persons' cases, is out everywhere now as hardcover, ebook, and audiobook, read by me. You can order it anywhere you get books and through your local library. Find out more through the link in our show notes. And if you'd like to support the show and the stories we cover, Join us on Patreon or Apple Premium. 100% of our Patreon and Apple Premium earnings are supporting our Family Therapy Fund and actively paying for therapy for families who have appeared on the show. On Patreon, you can get early release ad-free versions of our regular episodes for $5 a month. Or if you prefer Apple Premium, you can subscribe there as well. On Patreon, we also post occasional giveaways, updates, and blogs, which all Patreons can enjoy starting at just a dollar. The Fall Line is written, hosted, and researched by Laura Norton, with additional research assistance by Brian Warders. Interviews by Brooke Hargrove. Produced, engineered, and scored by Maura Curry. Content advisement by Brandy C. Williams and Vic Kennedy. And, as always, our most special thanks to Liz Lipka.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.